to be here and to, to worship with you this morning. One morning, Jesus was with his disciples, and as best as we can understand, he uh, was spending some personal time in prayer, maybe all night, and he spends some private time with his disciples, and then the crowds start coming, and the crowds grow and grow throughout the day until Scripture tells us that they were being, people were being trampled because of the size of the crowds. Um, has anyone here ever been in a crowd where 
you really feared that you might be trampled. Anyone? I've never. <laughs> okay, there's someone. Uh, ben feels like he was. <laughs> I had a friend that, that happened to be in Germany uh, the night of uh, reunification. He was at Checkpoint Charlie. And he declares that, that he went a couple of hundred yards without his feet touching the ground as the crowd surged. And uh, he feared for his life. And he saw up ahead a, a light pole and he tried to kind of swim his way through the people and grabbed a hold of that light pole and hung on for dear life because he, he knew if he went down, he wasn't a very big guy, he knew if he went down there was no getting up. And uh, I've never been in a crowd like that. But we're, we're told that that, that was uh, the, the kind of crowd that, that was here to, to uh, listen to Jesus. The crowd was made up of, of many different people. There were his disciples. There were critics. There was a man that had been possessed by a demon and then delivered. There were sincere seekers. There were those that were just filled with awe and wonder at Jesus and his teaching, the things he was doing. There were the scribes, the Pharisees. There were lawyers. There were hypocrites. You know, we're gathered here this morning in the presence of Jesus. Which, which one of those groups uh, do we identify with? Which of those groups describe us? Are we a critic? Are we a sincere seeker? Are we filled with all and wonder at Jesus and what he does, what he says, what he teaches? I think at one time or another in our life, we probably were in many of these situations and many of these groups would describe us at some point in life. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he describes a group of people this way ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. People that were constantly sitting under sound teaching, they were hearing truth, but never able to fully grasp and apply it to life. Hopefully that is not us here this morning. You know, whenever and wherever people meet Jesus, there is a response. For you and I, whenever we come in contact with Jesus, his words, his truth, we respond one way or another. The title of the sermon this morning is, What is Jesus Saying? And are we obeying? Two questions. What is Jesus saying? Are we obeying? Now, not, not everything that Jesus is saying in this passage is a direct command. But everything he is saying demands a response of some kind from you, from myself. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. 
The text verse is verse 28. Luke chapter 11, verse 28. Like I mentioned, this chapter starts out with Jesus praying, meeting with his disciples, teaching his disciples a prayer. And then he goes on and the crowds come and he, he works with the people, he teaches the people, and there's much for you and I to learn here this morning. Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. All of us want to be blessed by God. And here's the recipe. Hear the word of God and keep it. Let's begin reading at verse 14 and we'll read through verse 36. And he was casting out a devil and it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out and the dumb spake and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through, the Bel through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him and taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusteth and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnish, garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the state of that man is worse than the first. And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. And he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto, unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. And the Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. 
The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, put it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. I'll be honest with you right up front, I don't understand everything that we just read. Uh, but I think there are some things that we can glean from this that, that we do understand and that we can apply to, to our lives. Jesus is telling us here that he knows our thoughts. He told the people there that were before him that day, or, or he, he, Scripture tells us that he knew, he knew their thoughts. If he knew their thoughts, he knows our thoughts. I think Jesus is telling us this morning, I know your thoughts. I know what you're thinking. To me, that is a direct invitation to confession, to agreeing with God that my thoughts are not your thoughts, God. And the only proper response is to repent when we realize that our thoughts are not God's thoughts. We're familiar with the verse in Isaiah 55 that says, you know, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the verses that Gerald read in, in the devotional, Romans 12, the transforming of our minds is what needs to happen to us as human beings. If we're going to have thoughts like God's thoughts, if we're going to think thoughts that we are not ashamed to have God know, we need renewed minds. Secondly, Jesus is saying, God and I work together. You know, there was this question the crowds always had, who is this man, Jesus? And he made it very clear here that God and I work together. I am the finger of God here working among you. There's a lesson there for us. He tells us very clearly that I, I can't be doing this in Satan's power because kingdoms don't work against each other. They work together. So if I'm casting out devils, I'm doing it 
with the finger of God. Husbands and wives, we need to work together. Our scripture tells us clearly we will fail. Our marriage will fail. Our, our family will fail if we do not work together. As a church, if we don't pull together, failure is certain. Jesus is saying, working together under the power of God is the way to success, the way to be what God wants us to be. Thirdly, Jesus is saying, Satan is powerful, but I am all powerful. He gives this little illustration of a strong man that has himself well armed and everything under his uh, power is, is secure until a stronger man comes. And Jesus is saying, I am that stronger man. I am stronger than Satan. And you have nothing to fear because I can overpower him. I can take everything from him. And he is powerless to prevent it. That those verses give me a lot of courage. That is powerful and deceitful and, and all the trickery that Satan can throw at me has no power over my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will always come out on top if I trust in him. Fourthly, Jesus says something here that is very sobering. Jesus say, is saying here this morning to you and I that either you are working for me or you are working against me. We just talked about thoughts, our thoughts. Jesus knows our thoughts. As Jesus analyzes your thoughts, my thoughts, is there evidence there that we are working for him? Or is there plenty of evidence there that we are not working for him? We are actually working against him. As we study our own thoughts, you know, is that thought I'm thinking, is that a, a scattering thought or a gathering thought? Is it one that's drawing people to the Lord Jesus Christ or pushing them away? That's a, that's a, sober, a sober thing to think about. It's a serious thing to be scattering what Jesus is trying to gather. Jesus speaks very clearly here of two kingdoms, two groups of people. There's no middle ground. We're either working for him and his kingdom and what he's trying to accomplish in this world, or we're working against that. We're, we're scattering, we're, we're making it more difficult for him to accomplish what he's trying to do. 
We're doing one or the other. We like to think there's, we're maybe in neutral, just floating along and trying to make up our mind. No, it doesn't work that way. We're doing one or the other. And if we can't honestly say that we are helping Jesus gather souls for his kingdom, then obviously we're scattering. And that calls us to repentance as well. Fifthly, we're looking here at the text verse. Jesus is saying, we are blessed if we hear what he is saying and we obey. We have a positive response. We say, yes, I will do what you're asking me to do. There was a woman here in the crowd, a woman that had a mother's heart. And I think she just, she was just kind of overwhelmed and just said, your, your mother must be proud to have a son like you. Such a wonderful young man you are. And she must be a wonderful lady to have had a son like you. You know, when God wanted to send Jesus to earth as a baby, I've often wondered what kind of a process he used or how all that worked. Uh, you know, was there many godly young virgins that could have done what Mary did? Were there those that Jesus, or, or were there those that God had sent an angel to and said, no, I don't, I'm, I can't be, I can't do that. Well, we, we don't read of that in scripture. We don't know that that's the case. But Mary was chosen. And she was an outstanding young lady in most every way. But you know, she needed Jesus shed blood just as much as you and I and every other human being there ever was or ever will be. If she wanted God's blessing on her life, she had to listen to her son, Jesus, and she had to obey what he said if she wanted God's blessing. You know, there's one time Jesus' mother and his his family were gathered around and wanted to talk to him, and you know he was teaching the crowds, and somebody told him, "Hey, your your family's out here. They they want to talk to you." He said, "My my family is is you all. Those that are listening. Those that want to do my will. That's my family." You know, there's, there's many Christians today that teach that, you know, you just need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and all will be fine. Jesus says, hear and obey. Make it a matter of a heart, of a lifestyle. 
follow in my footsteps as you go about your daily walk of life. It's not just what's going on in your head. It's what is transformed into your actions, your words, and what you do. How you relate to those around you. That's what following Jesus is all about. It says in verse 29 that the crowd increased. And then, lest I forget to mention, it's over in... uh, Actually, chapter 12, which we won't get into this morning, where it increased to the point where, you know, people were getting trampled. In verse 29, the crowd increases. And Jesus starts describing that present generation. If Jesus were here, and we, he is here in in our presence this morning, but how would, what words would he use to describe our generation? Would he call us an evil generation? What lessons from scripture would he bring to our attention and saying, this is what you need to hear. And these people from the past are going to rise up and condemn you because you're not doing what they did. And they had much less than what you have. Who will stand up and condemn us on judgment day? Sixthly, Jesus is saying that the only proper response when we are faced with truth is to repent. And we mentioned that a couple times already this morning, but it comes up time and time again in this scripture. The sign of Jonah and the Ninevites. Jonah was faithful to preach judgment to the Ninevites. And they responded in repentance. Acts 2 Peter was preaching that sermon after he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Without repentance, there is no remission of sins, is somewhere else in Scripture. You know, I think... All of us have, have prophets in, in our life today, and we don't always like them. We don't like when people bring us face to face with truth. It makes us squirm a bit. So what do we do? Rather than receive the message, oftentimes we go after the messenger and say, you know, you're just not such a fine fellow yourself either. Or you have a few problems of your own. I would challenge us to be grateful for the prophets in our lives. Just like God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, he sends people to you and I to bring us face to face with truth 
and we better humbly receive it and repent. Or someday, the people of Nineveh will rise up and say, hey, you were brought face to face with truth and you ignored it. You did not repent. We must move on. The seventh thing Jesus is saying to us here this morning is that a lack of diligence in searching for wisdom of God will condemn us at judgment. The lack of diligence in searching for the wisdom of God will condemn us at the judgment. The lesson we can learn from Queen of Sheba is that she diligently searched for wisdom from God. There's a lot of books written about Queen of Sheba and a lot of things said about her, and we don't know. Scripture's not real clear exactly what all kind of a lady she was. But here, Jesus reaches back there into the past and says that she will condemn this generation because there's a wiser than Solomon here right beside you. You don't have to go 1,500 miles like she did and endure lots of hardship to hear wisdom. Wisdom is right here, and you're ignoring it. You're not making any effort to know the wisdom of God. Is there any generation since the beginning of time that has had everything at their fingertips that you and I have? In our own language, all the Bible helps, all the good books, all the teaching, it's right there. Are we taking advantage of the wisdom of God that is right here for us? We don't have to go diligently and search it out like, like the Queen of Sheba had. Let's be diligent and search the wisdom of God so that we can live holy lives before our Christ and our Redeemer. James 3.17 says, But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Does that describe the wisdom you have, the wisdom I have, is that what we're filling our hearts and minds with? Pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. To those around us, is that how they would describe rich? Easy to be entreated. Yeah, just go tell him like it is and he'll take it. That's a tall order easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. The eighth thing we want to look at here this morning that Jesus is saying, and I don't fully understand this, but we will touch on it. Jesus is saying, be sure the light you think you have within you is not really darkness. I'm not sure exactly what all he means there. 
There's something I've observed through life, through my own life, through watching other people. You know, the God, godly people are drawn to light. The ungodly just, they love darkness. They like things a little confusing. They like things unclear. They, they're just open, honest truth uh, is scary to them. It's interesting watching youth. I was, I was dean at SMBI for around seven years and, and uh, saw a lot of young people come and go. You know, those that have nothing to hide, they'll stand right under the light and talk. They'll gather close around the campfire and talk. They'll be out in the open, mingling. It's those that are, that are guilty or ashamed or have something to hide. They like the shadows. They like the dark corners. They like to be out back. What kind of person are you? Do you enjoy being out in the open with your life? Under the light, nothing to hide, free for the whole world to see? Or are we the kind of people that like the shadows, don't really want others to know what we're thinking, what's going on? Be sure that the light that you, you think you have within you is not really darkness. If someone has a further interpretation of what that scripture means, I, I'm open to it. Feel free to share that. Uh, verse 36, we had touched on uh, recently at a council meeting service. No dark corners in our lives. No part dark. You know, you think of a candle being lit and giving light. That's the kind of life God wants you and I to have. No dark corners. Full of light. All open and honest before everyone. In conclusion this morning, let's think a bit about what Jesus is reminding us of this morning. He reminded us that he knows our thoughts. And that's a call to confession, agreeing with God. Repentance is the only proper response when we think about Jesus knowing our thoughts. He reminded us this morning that he is the finger of God at work among us. That Satan is powerful, but he is all powerful. Jesus reminded us again this morning that there is no middle ground. We are either helping him gather or we are scattering what he is trying to gather. Jesus promised us that we will be blessed if we hear his word. And we obey him. When we are faced with truth, we must repent. 
We must search diligently for wisdom. And we must let our light shine bright for the whole world to see.